Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome to the uh, Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and I'd like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Um, each week, my guests volunteer their time to share their experience in dealing with the effects of alcohol, gambling, drugs and food on their lives and to help listeners understand the nature of the addiction and the available recovery options. Um, this week, my guest is a member of Allen and Family Groups and is also planning to join the Living Free team as a co-presenter. So I'd like to welcome Anne to the studio this afternoon. Hi, Anne. Hi, Bill. Thank you for inviting me onto the show. That's okay. Um, two weeks ago, we requested your support for three, 3CR's 2021 Radiothon. Uh, the theme was community-powered radio. Uh, 3CR's target was 250,000, and I'm pleased to be able to report that we've reached 210,000 so far, so there's only 40,000 to go. So if you'd like to donate, please take time now and help keep Community Radio 3CR and Living Free on air for another year. Uh, our show's target was only $1,500, but with your generous support, we managed to reach a magnificent 4350 nearly three times our target. Uh, later in the show, I'll be reading out a list of donors uh, for the show and also acknowledging those donations we received after the Radiothon show. Um, so, Anne, um, we thought we'd, we'd do a, a show this week and just talk about um, growing up in a family with an alcoholic um, and talk about the influence on, you know, on us as individuals and, I guess, talk about what it was like um, growing up with an alcoholic dad and um, to uh, share that experience of, the, I guess, the, <coughs> that isolation and feeling of, um, I guess, uniqueness um, that that you find when you when you have uh, alcoholism in your home and um, your friends don't. So, what was it like for you growing up? Well, uh, that's interesting that you should <clears throat> mention uniqueness because. Um, I think around alcoholism, especially back then, which um, for me was in the 70s, um, 60s and 70s, um, it, there was a shame attached to it, so nobody outside of the house mentioned what was going on in the house. Um, and that is um, a recipe for feeling disconnected and not belonging, um, isolated, and uh, uh, you could, as a child... Um, develop the idea from that that you you are unique and I think I did that and um, I came into Al-Anon in my early 20s um, uh, feeling unique and feeling alone um, and uh, looking for people that would understand me. Yeah, Um, (coughs) one of the things that I think I picked up from you early on was that concept of shame. I'd never really understood shame and um, I think I'd always seen it as guilt. I always felt guilty about the way I interacted with my father who who was a drinker um, and I always felt that because he, he, could pers- he, he knew that I felt guilty 
for that, and he used that guilt against me. But the idea of shame was one of, I guess, something outside the home, um, that I didn't really feel guilt outside the home. But outside the home, I felt shame. I felt shame about what, what my father was doing and also the fact that we couldn't... It stopped us interacting with other people. Yeah. So do you want to talk a bit yeah. more about, about shame? You obviously have a better, a better grip on it than me. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's useful to distinguish between uh, the meaning of guilt and the meaning of shame. So uh, the way we talk about it sometimes in Al-Anon is that guilt is uh, a, a feeling that you've done something wrong um, and shame is a feeling that you are wrong, so that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. Um, and it's a distortion in thinking, I think, that comes from uh, living in a, an alcoholic situation. So um, in alcoholic situations, there's, there's uh, often, well, there's, there's usually secrets and cover-ups and there's often um, things that are shameful, you know, I mean, things to do with urination or, or, or things that we don't want to um, talk about. Um, I mean, there's sexual abuse and, and things in alcoholic families. So um, I think being a member of that kind of family, you are likely to internalise a sense of shame, uh, not just guilt that, that you've done something wrong, but shame that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. And it relates to that, the thing of not sharing what's going on in, inside the home, outside the home, and not having that validated by the world at large. Yeah. Uh, the other one is, uh, I guess, the... Um, the child's view of the family and in, in our family although we argued a lot whenever we whenever somebody else visited our our home we'd always talk about them as being different and odd but we were we were okay so did you find in your family that you talked about other families or uh that's interesting um i think that there was a little bit of a sense that um uh, my parents were very interested in education, and they—I think their sense was that 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 we were more interested in education than other families, and um, which is—it's sad, really. You know, it's sort of, sort of. I think the family um, holds on to any kind of pride <laughs> that it can get can have, but um, and and to keep, and that's partly po- probably to keep up that public persona. Um, because at all costs you've got to hide what's going on, really. Yeah. So it's easier to um, uh, uh, to pretend that something else is more important than the alcoholism yeah. that's going on. So how did you get on with your siblings? Well, um, I'm four years older than my next one down and ten years older than the other one. Um, so my, my sister and I fought... Um, when we were very young, but that I don't think was anything to do with alcoholism. Um, and by the time the alcoholism was at crisis point, you know, on, ongoing daily crises, um, I think I had assumed the role of the the third parent in the house. And um, I was not at that point. There was less conflict with my sister because she was out of the house playing a lot of the time. She was still a child, whereas I was a young teenager. And I was in the house imagining that I was managing the situation, which I wasn't. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that that sort of brings up that other issue about feeling over-responsible. Yep. And feeling like you need to solve the problem. Yep. 
you don't know what the problem is, yep. but you f- have this feeling that you need to solve it. And I think that was that was a very strong emotion for me, feeling like I needed to understand this thing or to, to fix this thing that I didn't understand. I didn't understand how it worked. I thought I did. I thought my dad drank, he caused problems, we tried to fix it. But I didn't really understand the disease of alcoholism and how it affects the family and the fact that because I didn't understand that, I couldn't solve it. I didn't understand the problem, so I couldn't come up with a solution. And so it was always about control, trying to control the alcoholic, trying to stop him drinking too much, trying to fix up the things that he'd broken uh, or to do the things that he hadn't done. And there's no winning in that. It's just an endless battle. So did, you, did it help you to understand the disease nature of alcoholism? Um, yeah, I, I didn't understand that until, uh, after I came into Al-Anon. Um, I didn't, my dad was already in AA by the time I came into Al-Anon and when I first came I wasn't any, I wasn't concerned about the dynamics in my family of origin. I was more concerned about the dynamics between me and intimate, uh, partnerships that I was trying to, um, create as a young adult and they were going very, very badly, um. And I think that go that goes to not understanding what just happened in my alcoholic home, that all those strategies that you're talking about that you used to say a lot, Bill, because we've known each other for thirty odd years in Al Anon. Uh, you used to say we are normal people in an abnormal situation. So if uh, if there's something abnormal going on in a around any of us, it's perfectly natural to try and solve it. But um, I hope you talk a little bit more about what the family disease of alcohol is, Bill, because um, it's uh, you can't solve it by normal problem-solving means. So the normal problem-solving means that people use are control, trying to control the other person, trying to throw away the alcohol, thinking that that's the problem, where it's not the problem, the problem's in the person. Um and the problem is in all of the people around that person, which is the big one of the big insights of the Al-Anon program, that um, you're, as a family member of an alcoholic, likely just to be as sick as the alcoholic, emotionally and spiritually, and possibly even physically in some yeah. cases. Yeah. But you can talk more about that, I think. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it is that nature, and often... Um, when you observe an alcoholic family, and a lot of people don't get the chance to observe an alcoholic family in full flight unless they're part of it, and but once you do, you sort of look around the room and you realise that everybody's acting unusually. You know, the, the rules of normal discourse, of normal social interaction are broken inextricably. There's another set of rules that you don't understand and they're in force. And you look around and you find it hard to figure out who's the alcoholic because everybody's actions are irresponsible. People are saying things that you wouldn't normally say to people. People are doing things you wouldn't normally do. And so the situation is really fraught. Uh, And as you mentioned, understanding that the alcoholic is using alcohol to be able to cope with life better um, because they feel very isolated, and you know, if you understand that, then you can understand that trying to get them to stop drinking is not the solution. 
The solution is them deciding that they need to do something about it. And that may be, you know, stopping drinking. Um, it may be um, other things. But it's, it's really that issue of fighting futility and being exhausted. And part of that exhaustion uh, means that you take your eyes off your own well-being and just focus them entirely on the alcoholic and try, you know, and so you're living through them, you know, and that's a really dangerous situation for individuals because you forget your own needs and so your life is going downhill with the alcoholic and often you don't realise until it's too late. Um, did you Did you find that your life was in a difficult situation by the time you sought help? Uh, yes, my life was in a very... My life was just about unmanageable um, by the time I sought help um, because I had never learned to uh, really set goals for myself and have dreams for myself. I had achieved a few little educational things, but that was just by showing up every day and get, being on the, the the pathway between school and university or whatever. But uh, I never really formulated any goals or had any dreams or thought I could have any dreams because most of my... Um, uh, teenage life at, at least was taken up with thinking I was <laughs> trying to manage this situation um, and the predicaments that my parents were in uh, was very painful for me to observe and uh, the result of, for that, of that for me was um, thinking that I didn't have any right to anything in that situation that um, their suffering was much worse than mine therefore I had no right to ask for anything that I wanted and I never really learned to ask of the world for anything that I wanted and I'm, I'm only, it's been a long gradual process for me to ask for what I want. But at the same time, um, I need to admit that I was abusive in that family. So my uh, frustration and anger and my desire to fix, control and manage the situation resulted in me being uh, abusive and nasty towards my father, um, humiliating, you know, uh, treating him in a humiliating manner, uh, talking about him behind his back uh, a lot to my mother, um, feeling quite a lot of hatred towards him, blaming him for everything that was happening in the family. Um, and that in itself is a distortion because everything that's happening in the family is really to do with the actions of all of the people in the family, not just that one person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I identify with those things. <clears throat> I, I agree that often when people are talking about an alcoholic in the family, they're, they're saying that they, they have no more rights than a lodger in the house. Um, they're not treated as part of the family. And that was very similar in our um, household. Uh, we were... We were frustrated and angry that my dad's drinking was causing problems. Um, he was disrupting our lives. Um, when I came into Al-Anon, I hated my father for what he was doing to the family. I didn't hate him as a person. I hated what he was doing. And we would very often blame him um, for the situation. But as you say, we were very, very reluctant to ask for outside help, which meant that we were never. We never got ahead. We never got in front of it. Um, we never had a situation where 
things could improve because we're always keeping it inside the house. Nothing ever went outside the house. Um, and, you know, sick people talking to each other about things doesn't, doesn't improve the situation. Um, sick people in recovery is fine because they're getting positive influence from outside, but inside the family it was just an echo chamber and a really dangerous you know, sort of thing. But I, one of the things that I found you know, coming into Alan in my early 20s too was that once I accepted my father was an alcoholic and like anybody who has an illness like cancer or whatever, uh, or diabetes or asthma or whatever it is, you respect their right to have that illness without judging them for, for having it. Um, but with alcoholism or drug addiction or food addiction or gambling, we tend to see it as a moral weakness that this person has chosen to do or chooses to do that activity. And as such, it, um, it becomes really difficult because it becomes a moral issue rather than a medical issue. And it, it sort of breaks down at that point that it's very easy to dislike somebody because of what they're doing. It's very hard to dislike a cancer sufferer for suffering. You know, it's that, that sort of thing. So um, accepting my dad as, a, as an alcoholic and the fact that he drank, that was what he did. That's what alcoholics do. They drink. Um, then I had a real difficulty in my relationship with my mother because she would call my father anything but, and some pretty terrible things, but she wouldn't call him an alcoholic because that was just too bad. That was, that was too far. And once I started treating him differently, once I got into Al-Anon and allowing, you know, not trying to control him, um, my mother really felt that I'd gone over to his side, that I was a traitor. And that was a very difficult situation. And it took, I don't know, probably about six months before that situation came back. Um, and, um, and that was a, a very difficult time for me. I don't know if you had a, a similar sort of thing in your uh, life. You know, difficulty with... The thing about myself and my mother is we were very close because my two sisters left home and that really left the alcoholic and my mother and I as the combatants. And so the alliance I formed with my mother meant Dad was always wrong, um, when clearly we were too. And so that, you know, that was really a difficult situation. And just did you have a, you know, relationships with people inside an alcoholic family are difficult? Did you have yes. a difficult <laughs> relationship? Uh, yes. I th it was really interesting what you said about the difference between a moral problem and a medical problem. Um, as soon as you stop looking at a addiction as a, as soon as you start looking at it as a moral problem, uh, that opens the door for self righteousness, uh, putting yourself above that person because you haven't got that so called moral problem, um, and that's the key, I think that's the key mistake that we made in our family, um, and so yeah, my dad became then the bad person. Uh, my mother and I were the good people. <laughs> uh, or at least in my mind, my mother was the good person. And I had that uh, completely... That For me, that was quite simple. My dad was bad, my mother was good, my mother was right, my father was wrong. Um, 
and it was as far as I was concerned that was as plain as day um, and I took that into my adult relationships too thinking that men didn't have quite the same moral rights as women that that, that women were better than men um, and I've had to unlearn that um, thankfully I have and I've got that completely um, uh, in balance now I think um, but yeah, it's that, it's that morality thing that uh, having that at the, the centre is what distorts everything because along with morality comes ideas of guilt, shame, um, badness and good and evil and goodness and all that. So um, the, the concept of alcoholism and other addictions as a disease opens the door for compassion um, and also for seeing it as a family disease opens the door up for you to look at your own behaviour and not uh, everyone's focus being on the addict's behaviour. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take a break there. Hi, this is Isaac, and I'm talking to you from a tree seat 40 metres high in the Arinandra Plateau. I'm here with other activists because we want to stop what Big Forest is planning to do which is to destroy 60 new areas in one of the last refuges of unburned forest in East Gippsland. We're calling the state government to protect all unburned areas of East Gippsland. If you want to get involved, contact gecko at gecko.org.au and join the campaign. A 3CR supporter. It's not too late to own it. It's not too late to donate. It's not too late to donate to 3CR Radiothon 94198377 or check our website 3cr.org.au. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, if you'd like to listen to one of our podcasts, uh, then you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. Uh, you can also contact us via 3CR on 03 9419 8377. Email us 3 at gmail.com or via Twitter as 3CR now, I mentioned earlier that we had um, over $4,000 worth of uh, donations, and so I'd just like to read out again the, the donors that we had. Um, we had Anonymous, 380, Alex Skerrick, 500, Anne Stanley, 50, Don Forbes, 200, Heather Moores, 30, Ishita Palat, 50, Joanne Holsinger, 50, Marie Connell, 50, Mayo Roddenjen, 30, Michael Ambrellis, 50, Nadua, 30, Susan Ledkin, 50, Terry Doherty, 500, Brenda Robnick, 20, Penny Gillard, 30, Peter Washington, 100, May Geeney, 50, Cooker's Bulk Oils, $1,000, Jacqueline Pitt, $100, John Shaw, $30, Peter Fitzgerald, 500, Susan Pitt, 200, Tina Shaw, 100, Gary Pope, fifty. Janine Percy, thirty dollars. Paul Reed, twenty dollars. 
Leo Griffiths, $50, and Andrew Gearan, $100. So I'd really like to thank you all for um, those very generous donations, and you've really pushed us well beyond our target and helped 3CR achieve its radiothon, a lot of its radiothon target. So thank you very much. Uh, today <clears throat> I'm talking with Anne, and we're talking about recovering from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Alan and family groups. Um, so Anne, given that you're going to be a co-presenter, how would you like to um, take over and do a bit of interviewing? Okay, thanks Bill. Um, I was just thinking uh, before the announcements there, we were uh, before the song, we were talking about uh, the idea of alcoholism being a disease and, and that's why we talk about the idea of recovery. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what your what how you understand your recovery from the disease. You know, if if uh, al if alcoholism is a disease, what what is the medicine that uh, Alan on offers? <clears throat> um, yeah, I think Alan follows the AA's twelve steps, and part of that twelve the the twelfth step is about having had a spiritual awakening, and part of that spiritual awakening, as I understand it, is um, a change of attitude sufficient to recover from the effects of alcoholism. And by that I mean um, that I need to have an attitude change that will allow me to accept the things that I couldn't, I couldn't deal with before. And, and the major one was my father's drinking and his alcoholism. And so part of that acceptance um, in the change of attitude is that to stop fighting, to stop fighting him and to stop fighting the drink and to understand that his drinking is just a symptom of, of, a deeper, of his deeper problem and his problem is causing me problems. And what I found in Al-Anon was that my father didn't have a drinking problem. I had a problem with his drinking and that was the attitude change that I realised, that he was quite happy and content to keep on drinking and my mother was quite happy and content to keep him drinking because he was controllable, if you like, in that way. And, you know, to accept that my father was drinking by, effectively by choice and my mother was allowing him to drink by choice meant that I had to accept them both, both of their behaviours. But the big thing I found was about respect, that I had no respect for my father. And we've talked about this earlier, talking about the, um, the anger and the resentment and the uh, frustration with living with an alcoholic. And I, I guess Alan helped me to understand that he, he was, you know, he suffered from alcoholism, but also his, his dad was an alcoholic. And so he grew up in an alcoholic family himself. But he didn't have the benefit of you know, AA and Al-Anon when he was growing up. And so he went through alcoholism, the family disease, um, without any assistance. And here was me, you know, and I'm 36 years younger than my dad, in my early 20s trying to tell my father how to live. <laughs> and it's looking back, it's really very ironic that that, you know, that sort of relationship occurred. But as Anne mentioned earlier, I thought I was right. 
um, and that's this high moral ground, that I thought I knew the answer. And accepting that you know my, my dad's drinking was more of a problem to me than it was to him meant that I was able to let him go, if you like, to let him live his life. And strangely enough, my dad kept on drinking for another 25 years and died, you know, died of what one would call, call natural causes. Uh, he didn't die of alcoholism, but he's still drinking. Uh, and so he drank from when he, I think he was 14 to 84, um, which is a pretty good thing for an alcoholic to do. But an alcoholic can't exist in isolation. An alcoholic needs people around them that support their drinking. And if they don't, you know, there's you know, a couple of paths, insanity or death, uh, or prison are usually the, the paths that an alcoholic who doesn't have any support goes through. Um, so, yeah, growing up in an alcoholic home um, meant that I thought I was right and my father was wrong because that's what we did in our family. We, we decided who was right and who was wrong. Um, and Alan helped me to understand that I wasn't right and he wasn't wrong. Yeah. That's very interesting. And um, what, what happens at meetings that, that at Alanon meetings that help you with uh, that change in attitude? Well, I think a lot of it is about <clears throat> um, listening to other people, hearing other people's stories. I came into Alanon thinking that we had the worst situation <clears throat> in the world. You know, having an alcoholic as a father is pretty devastating for uh, young children, uh, even young adults. Um, and coming into Al-Anon, I met other people who had worse situations than I had and were coping with it. And listening to their stories made me realise that if they could do it, it could be done. Um, <clears throat> and I think that was the most valuable thing. And also, uh, I guess learning that it was it's not someone else's action we always talked about what the alcoholic did or didn't do and in Al-Anon they talk about well the alcoholic that's what the alcoholic did what did you do in response to that and usually what I did in response was to make the situation worse because I was cross and as you mentioned before I was very spiteful um very sarcastic, passive-aggressive, all the things that undermine relationships. Um, growing up in an alcoholic home, you tend to develop guerrilla tactics, um, things these days you'd, you'd call them terrorist tactics. You undermine, you know, you, you do some pretty terrible things inside the family uh, and sometimes outside the family. Um, and it's just a way of thinking, you know, to protect yourself, you'll go to great lengths. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, having, having people talk about how to live with an alcoholic without losing yourself, and a lot of that was about detaching from the alcoholic and just getting on with your life, letting them live their life, get on with your own life, and, you know, just, you know, go for a walk, have a cup of tea, read a book, do whatever you like. Stop focusing on the alcoholic. Get on with your own life. Yeah, thanks. I just wrote down some words there. That, that's a, a, 
I haven't ever heard an alcoholic household described as a, uh, you know, like a guerrilla outfit or, you know, that you have to learn guerrilla tactics. Um, and I just wrote down some words that I associate with that. And uh, one of them is hypervigilance. So I think as a child, one of the things I learned was hypervigilance. Uh, so I was able to uh, suss out a room really quickly, know what mood everyone was in. Um, and that was a skill learned in, in this uh, situation. Uh, there would be preemptive strikes and strategy meetings. If he does this, we'll do that, and this, this sort of behaviour. Um, and there was re- retaliation if we felt wounded, if we felt, if we felt uh, entitled uh, to take revenge, we would. So these are, these are uh, not really great um, things to learn to going into the world of, into the social world and and informing um productive relationships with other people unless you, you're actually entering a war zone um so can you talk a little bit bill about um we're talking about in the 12th step about practicing these principles in all our affairs can you talk a little bit about how the principles that you learn in Al-Anon have helped in your uh, relationships outside of the alcoholic family okay yeah um yeah i guess the main the main one is really admitting when you're wrong and your part in it. And often when I was working and I'd say to people, yeah, I made a mistake. This is this is what I did and this is how we've got to fix it. And they'd go, you can't say that. You can't, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't admit that. And I'm going, but there's nothing wrong with that. All I'm doing is saying that that's the problem and we can get on with it. And... But in an alcoholic home, you could never admit a weakness because it would be used against you very much. Um, and a lot of people still do that you know, in the outside world. There's a lot of... You can identify people with the isms of alcoholic alcoholism um, by the way they treat other people and the way they approach any sort of dispute or um, difference of opinion... Uh, the other one is in Al-Anon. It's, it's a lot about being democratic and being allowing people to voice their opinion without being concerned about the fact that they've voiced their opinion or what they've said. And part of that is about not being political, about not getting people on your side. It's just your idea. And if people want to take it, well, fair enough. If they don't, fair enough. Um, and so it's not about winning. It, it's about getting the best outcome. And that was a very... We never practised that at home. We never practised get, getting the best, best outcome. It was always somebody winning. And you had to be on the winning side. And if you weren't on the winning side, then, you know, you're a real loser. Um, but doing that in, in the world means stepping back from conflict and trying to defuse the situation instead of making it worse, going behind people's backs, um, saying things that aren't true, gossiping about people and and places. Um, And it's really trying to, I guess, not make the situation worse. And that was really a principle that Alan helped me to understand, that if I don't make the situation worse, then I won't feel guilty and the alcoholic won't be able to use the guilt against me. And that was really good. So, yeah, thanks. 
for me, um, when you were talking there, I was thinking, what it, what the, my, how I see my recovery is that it has right-sized me. It's made me not think that I'm the managing director of the universe. <laughs> And I don't have to control every situation that I'm in or, or other people. And it also may, makes me not shrink away as though I don't matter in a situation. So it gives me, as you spoke about a democratic idea, the, the idea that I've got one voice and that I'm entitled to use it. But it's only one voice and it's not any more important than anyone else's voice. Yeah, you're entitled to use it and you're expected to use it to speak up when, when you need to. Yeah, yeah stop yeah. being a doormat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, so we might take a break there. Independent and Peaceful Australian Network, IPAN, has launched a national people's inquiry into the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in the US-led wars the US Alliance and its alternatives. The inquiry aims to promote a national conversation and is currently inviting submissions from organisations and individuals. The great majority of Australians have never been asked about this alliance, its implications and its limitations, which has led to an uncritical foreign policy. It's time this changed. To make a submission, go to independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. That's independentpeacefulaustralia.com.au. Submissions close on the 31st of July. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Kutcher Edwards. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison radio series where we share the mic with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates in Victorian prisons. We started in 2002 and this year marks 20 years on the air. Be sure to tune in at 11am each morning from Monday July the 5th to Friday July the 9th for Beyond the Bars 2021 broadcasts. For more information, head to our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash Beyond the Bars. Thoughts within Visions I see Daring to dream my destiny. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today I'm talking with Anne about recovery from the family disease of alcoholism with the help of Al-Anon. Um, and I guess, you know, being coming into Al-Anon in our early 20s, I guess the next the next thing was relationships and you know starting our own families. So, did you um, did you find Alanon helped you with relationships? Um, <clears throat> very much so. So, um, once I got uh, rid of a lot of my distorted ideas that I came in with about women being victims of men, um, I began to have relationships with very good men. 
um, one of whom I married. Um, and it also helped me um, with relationships in the workplace, which is with a similar experience to what you described before of, of um, being able to uh, work with other people, um, other, understand that other people had a right to their voice, and, and that so did I. Um, and it, what, what it, the big challenge for me in the last um, decade has been um, having children. I, I mean, I had children two decades ago, but um, I found that with, with every new challenge in life, a lot of the old, I still carry inside me a lot of the old patterns of behaviour. Um, and I think one of the, one I've identified is when I had a young, I had a will, very willful young daughter who was probably had a stronger uh character than I did and um, I found that very difficult and I found it hard to assert myself with her which means I made that situation worse instead of better um, but Alan on has re- and, and getting her through the teenage years and the, the fears around that as a young as her as a young adult going into the world um, and with my son as well um, I found that very difficult because Alanon talks a lot about letting go and letting people go on their own path. That's <laughs> quite difficult to do when you're a parent because, again, it's normal behaviour for a parent to want to control the path of their child's life and I'm trying to live a life where I'm not controlling anyone. But um, I took the leap of faith and when my kids were around about 18, I each, each one of them reached that milestone at a different time, I, I really did let go. Um, and now I have um, very good relationships with both of my children. I'm very proud of them. And, and in the letting go, it gives me the opportunity to I'm getting on with my life and I can stand back and see what great things they're bringing to the world that aren't anything to do with me at all. It was to do with who they are. Um, they're both very ethical, um, conscientious people. Um and a lot of their qualities I didn't cause. <laughs> you know, so it, it's good to let myself off the hook. I, I didn't cause their defects. I didn't cause their um, their yeah. gifts either. You know, it's the, we, yeah. they, so um, that the philosophy of Alan on about um, letting go of other people and living your own life is, I think, the very best um, advice I've had. Uh, the very best way for me to parent my young adult children Mm. yes so um did you find it difficult to let them go to let them be themselves and um the other one other question i had was did you ever fear they develop alcoholism oh yes um they're letting them i had enough alan on experience to note, to I never, um, I was always able to let them go to some extent because I knew that was the right thing to do, and then I'd I'd find myself wanting to control them, but often not not giving into that, but but white knuckling it a bit. <laughs> um, now I genuinely let them go. Um, fear, I, fear for both of them. Every, every as soon as one of them says I drank a little bit of alcohol, I am projecting in, with, into the ruins of the future about you know th- th- uh, sifting through the ruins of the future looking for the evidence that they're alcoholics um, <laughs> and getting really worried about that. So, um, yes, that has been a concern and I've spoken to both of them about it. 
I've explained that addiction is a feature in our family history and that they might be prone to it. Um, and uh, they both used alcohol at different times. Um, and I, uh, today, just for today, don't think that either of them are alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I wouldn't say I... I still have some, you know, I have fears for my children, but I uh, don't act on them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I agree. That having very young children and seeing very strong personalities gave me a, a fear in the back of my mind. Would they develop um, certain characteristics, um, addictive characteristics? But that wasn't borne out. But... I think that's always a fear that one has in the back of their mind, you know, understanding where we've come from, that, that there is a familial path with alcoholism. But as I understand it today, it's it's less about genetics and it's more about learnt behaviour and breaking the cycle, um, you know, getting being with normal people rather than people affected by alcohol, family members affected by al uh, alcoholism, has meant that they've had a more normal life. And I guess one of the things that um, was interesting in my life was as my dad was still drinking uh, while, while the kids were growing up, they saw active alcoholism and they saw their grandmother actively enabling the alcoholic and getting upset with the alcoholic. And, you know, and so they saw, I guess, two sides. One, our family where we'd let the alcoholic be an alcoholic and their grandparents who were bickering and fighting and trying to control it and not understanding it, yeah. So I guess that was the benefit of Al-Anon for me was that I had a, a good relationship with the kids and they could sort of see what alcoholism was and how it worked, um, yeah. Um, the other one I was going to talk to you about was um, enabling behaviour that you talked a bit about trying to control people and often in trying to control them we enable that behavior by yeah by doing that yep. um so with with your you know i guess with your children um was it was it difficult to pull back you talked about pulling back but could you relax into that how long did that take oh yeah uh initially i couldn't relax into it so for the whole of my children's childhoods and adolescence I was in a I was in conf conflict a lot of the time about what the right thing to do was but I think that's in the nature of parenting a lot of it and um, I relied a lot on my husband who doesn't come from an alcoholic background to say what do you think because I knew that some of my reactions were a little bit extreme maybe a little bit fearful uh, and he was always more inclined to say they'll be fine because in his experience people grow up fine in my experience, they can grow up, you know, addicted or mentally ill. So I need to check that truth against another truth to know that it can go either way, you know. Mm. Um, so uh, what did you just ask me, Bill, about enabling? Um, about Well, about um, enabling behaviour, that, mm. that the sort of... Oh, yes. The more you try and control, the more you're actually enabling. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, a, a little bit with my daughter, um, I did a lot of fighting back, so there was... Um, uh, shouting and things in the house and she could use that against me um, mm. and justify what she was doing but um, I, I haven't got my head around that enough to answer the question very well it's not something I've thought about much yeah. so yep. uh, what about you 
What about you? <laughs> well, I, I guess it's I, I guess I didn't have a difficult relationship with my daughters. I've got two daughters, and the relationships with them were were pretty easy. And like yourself, I have a, a spouse who's very well adjusted, who lives life easily and you know um, and I think that's that's really been good for me too I I was fortunate to meet her shortly after coming to Al-Anon and my mother always put down my change of behavior to my wife rather than to Al-Anon <laughs> which I thought was funny but I couldn't have had the relationship with her without being in Al-Anon because I was a mixed up person yeah Okay. Um, well, listen, if anybody would like to find out more about Allen Family Groups, uh, you can phone them on 1300 252 or you can go online at allenon.org.au. There you'll find more information about meetings and phone contacts throughout Australia. Uh, that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Anne, uh, or my, my guest and co-presenter Anne, for coming into the show and discussing Allen Family Groups. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much, Bill. Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening to Living Free Program, and I hope you'll be able to listen into this NADOC Week special uh, next week. It's called Beyond the Bars, and it's running from 11 a.m. till 3 p.m., uh, Monday to Friday, and that'll cover our time slot. Uh, in our time slot, we've got a, an interviews from the Marganite Correctional Facility. Uh, so stay tuned now for more great programs on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.